0: we can wonder, why did Jesus come? And if you pay attention to the wording we use here and there, we thank Jesus that he came to die for our sins. I hear that frequently. And I think that's a part, but I'd like to look at a number of verses here as an introduction of, of what Jesus said he came to. For in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew 18, 11, for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Paul, in speaking about well, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, says, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. John has a little different slant in his recording. In John 10, verse 10, he says, Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. In John 12, Jesus says, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And in John 6, 38 to 40, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So there you could say Jesus came to do his Father's will. And this is the Father's will which has sent me that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. We have here, Jesus said he came to seek, to save, to provide a way of redemption. There's another aspect in Mark 10, verse 45 says, for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That word, that verse brings out a little different aspect of the, the work of Christ in that he came to minister. I have to think often of as, as we talk about Jesus coming to die. If Jesus would have came and all he was needed was to die, he could have been sacrificed as an infant. Well, but he had to live a holy life. But what was it about Jesus' life that was important? If we go to Philippians chapter 2, there's a few verses here. Verses 4 to 8, very familiar. Think of the the attitude of Christ in this. Philippians 2, 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. these couple verses, it it stuck out to me a little differently. We say these verses so frequently. We we know them. But look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you. Now, which mind is he talking about? Sometimes it's hard to know if it's talking about what follows or what precedes, but it's thinking of Jesus as as ministering and, and seeing needs and touching people with compassion He was looking not on his own things, but on the things of others. He was thinking about other people and his compassion. And let that mind be in you. He was in the form of God. He was was with God. And and as you consider the Old Testament and where Christ was as God, um, there's some different... Ideas on on all that, but it says here that he then took upon him the form of a servant. He came as a servant and was made in likeness of man. And then he became obedient even unto death. So those verses are a bit of a, of a background. Now, I'd like you to to picture something with me. I, I'd love to be able to draw something, but I don't have a way right now. But there's a phrase that I want to, I want you to think of with this mental picture. So picture over here a bunch of ball gloves, maybe a dozen of them with balls in. And over here we have a blackboard with a teacher standing writing. One blackboard, one teacher, a bunch of ball gloves. Can you picture that? We have a little mind teaser book, and it has these pictures that say that mean you can pull a phrase out, a quote or a saying out of this picture. What, would, what can you follow with me in that picture of a bunch of ball gloves with a ball in versus a blackboard? What phrase? give you some hints there we go more is caught there's a bunch over here and it's caught and over here is somebody teaching one but now that that idea is what I want to look at this morning why did Jesus come first I want to use a little illustration some years ago, I knew a man that sold sweet corn at a farmer's market. He always gave at least an extra ear in his dozens, but often more if he thought the ears were smaller or had defects. His his uh, This man's son does the same thing 25 years later. And... If his grandchildren are left in charge of the stand, they do the same thing. Why would that be? What what principle there is being expressed? What scripture might be being thought about initially when that's done? That's a that's a reality. But what might the scripture be? What might the principle be? Do unto, as you have them do. do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's another verse that comes to mind, and that's, "Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again." How do you want men to be, how do you want to be treated? But there's a principle in that little illustration. There's a a reality, and I'm going to use the word discipleship, discipling. Now, this, this, several weeks ago in our Sunday school lesson, turn with me to John 1. That's where we were studying. John one to 35-39, And again the next day, after John stood, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, Where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Why did these two call Jesus rabbi? What does rabbi mean? Here it says being interpreted master, but another word often interpreted as teacher. Why did they want to know where he dwelt? I am not a scholar of Jewish culture first century. I've done a little research and I'm not sure what brought it all into my mind, but as we were studying that lesson, I think it's, I think it's very, the implication here is very strong. There's a lot more here than what we may read into it or read read across it at first. These were disciples of John. They were following John. They were hearing his teaching. And here John says, there's Jesus. And they went to Jesus and they said, Rabbi. My understanding is that in that culture, that a rabbi, a teacher, would gather around him a few students and he would teach them the law. Not only teach them the law, teach them how to live the law out. This wasn't unique to Jesus. That was what a rabbi did. And you couldn't just be, you couldn't just, you you could maybe choose or request a certain rabbi, but he had to accept you into his circle. This teaching didn't just happen once in a while. If it wasn't daily, it was close to it. It was intense. And here these two disciples came and said, Rabbi. Rabbi teacher okay what what do you want he asked what seek ye and they said where do you where do you dwell where do you live where do you teach we want to be your students your learners learners of you and he said come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. The title of the message could be come and see. Because that, in a nutshell, is what discipling is. It's inviting others to come and see Jesus and what we do and how we believe Here is some some quotes, I'm gonna read a little bit from a perspective of a Messianic Jew. What did it mean to be a disciple of a rabbi? The Hebrew term for what it means to be a disciple is, and it's some word I'm not gonna be able to pronounce, but in the context of the time, this word meant deacon or servant of the rabbis. That's what a disciple was. Serving is essentially the first stage of discipleship You serve your rabbi as you learn how to follow the word of God like he does. That's a very foundational phrase, to follow the word of God like he does. The object of discipleship is to follow, emulate, copy, duplicate, and replicate your rabbi all while serving him. Another quote is, what is discipleship in the Bible. It's a thread throughout the Old and New Testaments where teachers pass along their life and teachings to their disciples. The disciples are then meant to replicate the process in their own lives from the parent-child relationship to the Moses-Joshua relationship to the Jesus-disciples relationship. Discipleship is a theme throughout the Bible and it ought to be a defining theme in our own lives as well. And one more, if I had to characterize the great leaders of the Bible and the great leaders of history, the one characteristic that most of them had was that they knew how to accept and develop and form the people who were willing to follow them. The task of the master is to take the raw diamond and polish it into a beautiful top quality jewel fit for the king's crown. So, Jesus came, and he called disciples. In Matthew, it's recorded where he came, and he said, follow me. And here in John was the instance of those asking to follow him. But as Jesus said about disciples in Matthew 10, he says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. The idea is that a disciple's purpose is to replicate, to be like his rabbi. In Luke 640, the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master, or shall be like his teacher. The goal is to become like in understanding and action. And a verse that my mind went to early on as I thought of this was Paul. And you can turn to 1 Corinthians 10. I like to read a few verses there. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning at verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men and all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that many may be saved. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That was the heart of Paul, was to disciple others as he was being discipled by Christ. And in this message, it affects all of us in two ways. Because all of us are disciples. We are all being taught by someone somehow. We are all trying to line our lives up with something and I trust it's the Lord Jesus it's not something that happens once in a while or once a week it's a daily walking with but then a lot of us not quite as many but a lot of us here have the responsibility and the calling to disciple others to teach, to bring them alongside. And as Paul said, be ye followers of me as I also am of Christ. If we would have continued reading there in John 1, those disciples that came then went and found others and brought back. I'm going to do a little demonstration here, or have you involved in a little demonstration. I'm going to pick three of you, and I'll tell you what to do as as we go. So, Tim, I'd like you to stand up. And Jolene and Craig. Now, each of you find three people, close by you, not not, actually not that close by you, three people around somewhere and have them stand up. So, okay, now each of you go find three people and have them stand up. So these three were discipled and they went out and found three more to disciple. Let's say you invest in someone for a year. Jesus did for three years. And then he sent them out. So how many do we have standing? Twelve. Each of you find three people that aren't standing and have them stand. Go for it. How many generations is this? How long did this take? Even if you invested three years? Now, I can say do it again and it it will take the rest. You may all sit down. The math is 1, 3, 12, 48, 192 and then it goes even more. You see the power of of discipleship of how of teaching and then sending them out to teach, and that is what Jesus did and what he calls us to be involved in. I'd like to read just a number of verses in the epistles. To help us think of of what in Paul, he speaks often of following. In Philippians chapter three, he says, brethren, be followers together of me. So there's a, a conscious effort to hear instruction, to watch the pattern of someone's life and to copy it. In Hebrews chapter six, He says, in verse 12, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In 2 Thessalonians 3, I'll read verses 6 through 9, it says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us, not a true disciple, someone that's erring from the teaching. Verse seven: For ye yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behaved ourselves not, excuse me, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither do we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but we but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Realize someone is following you, and you are following someone. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 17. Paul is speaking some things in a negative way, to the church there, they had issues. And he was addressing them, but he says in verse 14, "'I write not these things to shame you, "'but as my beloved sons I warn you. "'For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, "'yet have ye not many fathers. "'For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you "'through the gospel. "'Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. "'For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, "'who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now I found that a very thrilling scripture to ponder. Because he says He calls them sons, my sons I warn you. I'm not trying to shame you, but I care about you. You're my my delight. And then he says, be ye followers of me. Then he goes and says, and this is why I'm sending Timothy. Now, wait a minute. He just said, follow me. And now he says, I'm sending Timothy. How's this work? It's second generation. Because he says, Timothy, who is my beloved son. He's one that I have taught. I have instructed. He's walked with me. And now I'm sending him. and he's going to carry my words, my way, and continue what I've taught. If we go to Acts chapter 16, we see that it's where Paul found Timothy. He was a disciple already of Christ, but Timothy, Paul took him under his his wing per, per, per se, and took him forth with him in that close discipleship. And in verse 4 of Acts 16, it says, And as they went through the cities, they delivered the decrees and ordained apostles and elders, so the churches were established in faith and increased in number daily. And I just see that's... Timothy, later, he, he was a man that had a lot of responsibility. But it wasn't thrust on him without being prepared for it. He was nurtured. He was discipled by Paul in how to be a church leader before he was thrust into it later. And thinking of that is is Paul as a church leader in Timothy. There's a verse in Hebrews thirteen seven. It says, "Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation." So there's the the weight of the role of of resp- and responsibility of leadership. And what would Jesus would he have? to say to me, as he said to Nicodemus, aren't you a ruler and don't you know these things? We fall short so often of of being that example that that Paul said he was. But we all desire to be those examples. I'd like us to think now of the context of parenting. Because as mentioned in that one quote, you have the parent-child relationship and in its in its raw form, that's really discipleship, and that's part of my my burden or or and, and thought here is to to think of these things. Maybe not so much that you need to change the way you do things, but to think about how and why you're doing them. In Ephesians 6, verse 4, it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. An intent and focus. A number of years ago, right after my wife and I were married, in the congregation that we were we briefly attended there in Ohio, they had Bible memory, And each family took a passage to memorize for the week and then recite the congregation to encourage Bible memory. And I remember the few verses that we chose to memorize on that occasion. Deuteronomy 4, 8 and 9. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? And only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. That's one part of discipleship. That's that's listening and being taught, and receiving instruction, and applying it to your life. And the last phrase is, but teach them, thy sons and thy sons' sons. Brother Ellis brought a message here several weeks ago that was I found uh, deeply challenging to consider. And it's a lot along this line this is just a little different focus and I I really didn't think about that a lot as I was preparing this but it is definitely tied together because the goal is the same. It's faithful followers. And as parents, we live with our children every day. Seems like you can Tell a child to do something, how to do something, and you might have to tell it to them a hundred times, and they still don't get it right. Sometimes, I don't have a real good example, but there are things that you can you can try again and again and again to teach. And then there's something that can be said one time, and it's taken and put in there in cement. Cemented with fireworks because it comes out all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Seems like sometimes you can never get through and then there's something else that you didn't even really want to be there. And that's all that comes out. But you know, we can teach things. We can verbally teach things that may be missed and we can do things that will be caught and that especially happens in that context of the disciple and his teacher and I just I need for myself to grasp and embrace this aspect of, of parenting as discipleship as purposefully guiding the hearts of my children as I follow Christ and to make sure that they understand who I am and why I am what I am and that I am, that my, my integrity is there that I am who I say I am because they will see that if it's not. Do you know the word, the, the, the passage in I read the one in Deuteronomy 4 there's another in Deuteronomy 6 that speaks of parents and the importance of parenting Hear O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them once in a while. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Frequently. There's another little aspect to discipleship that I'd like to touch on as I as I've pondered this subject over the years. And I'd like to read someone else's words that put up some of my thoughts into words. In the gospel text, Jesus often did not answer a direct question but responded with another question or a parable. That was standard rabbinic teaching technique. This forced the questioner and the listeners to wrestle with the issues that came to their with their questions as well as with their encounter with him. Jesus' intent was to develop, to develop discernment in his listeners regarding who God is and how God does things rather than providing easy answers without the often rigorous effort of wrestling with God's words and its demands. Today, we don't seem to have as much of an appetite to wrestle with the biblical text as it relates to the daily issues of our lives and God's authority over them. We seem to prefer simple answers that we can selectively embrace. Thus, much of what it means to be a committed follower of Christ today is often reduced to a simple formula of how-to steps. Now, that's not... That's not. Ever, I don't. I don't think all that exactly as it was said, but there's an interesting concept there, and this was was brought to my mind some time ago, and in thinking of how we instruction class, how we instruct new believers, and we can take a, a booklet and we can go through the, the the questions and fill in the blanks, and we've given the instruction. And that has a place, and it's not bad. It may be very good. And depending on the person and the circumstance, maybe the level of of benefit. Most of us have preconceived ideas of what some things should look like, even if we haven't been a child of God. We've heard teaching and have environmental influences. But rather than just saying uh, modesty is for the sisters a cake dress and you need to do that, you need to not put these frills on and this is what you need to do because that's what God says. Versus going to the scripture, reading the verse and saying, what does this verse mean? And to someone that has no background, they won't have a very easy time answering that, perhaps. And yes, you nudge in the right direction. But sometimes we find it easy to give fill fill the blanks in with the, the answers we know. maybe we haven't really learned the lesson. I think we'll have a lot better grasp if we can wrestle with some of these things and ask questions, not in a rebellious way, but in a good way. What does this mean? And we can talk about it so we can, all, we can fully embrace, buy in with, what was that word, that, that uh, phrase that I mentioned earlier? To follow the word of God like he does. Is it because it's just, well, it's the way it's done? Or is it because I understand and I think it's the right way? And it takes work. It takes time and commitment. Jesus came to make disciples. And to die as a ransom, but Jesus came to make disciples. Part of our calling as his disciples is to make more disciples. And this happens in a, in a numerous context and in various ways, but I just want us to be refreshed in our thinking and to refresh our thinking about how our lives, what are our lives impacting and who are our lives impacting? Or who are we not impacting? Maybe we just need a fresh perspective and focus. As a parent, as a teacher, as a, as a leader. Am I, what is the goal and the purpose? But maybe you do need to alter your goals and your energy. But one thing for sure. Disciples. Discipling. Discipling discipleship being discipled and making disciples takes 3 very crucial things the one is the vision second is time and the third is commitment to keep going the goal is replication of scriptural faithfulness the goal is to have a multiplication, propagation of more little Christs. So, my, my encouragement to you is to answer the call of Jesus when he says, Come and see, and be that committed learner, pupil. And secondly, to extend that invitation to others. Come and see. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's episode.